Acts. I'll look to the screen and you'll see um, a verse that Paul said to the Corinthian church. He said, since you excel in so many ways, I mean, you have so much faith, such gifted teachers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm and love for us. Now, I want you to excel also in the gracious gift of giving. What does that look like when you excel in the gracious gift of giving? First, a few questions. You'll need someone sitting next to you to answer them. Are you ready? Are you ready? Boy, man, here we go. The first one is, do you know anybody at all in your life who is generous? Do you know somebody who is extremely generous with all things? What is their name? Tell the person next to you. You've bought five seconds. Oh, Tell the person next to you the person's name. Second question Are they rich? <laughs> now remember, relax. Now remember, the definition of rich, according to most indexes, is the top 1%. So that means in America, they make more than. $400,000 a year, or they have a net worth of at least $1.3 million. You're in the top 1%, if that's true of you. Is the person rich, yes or no? You have four seconds. <laughs> Some of you are being spiritual. You're, oh, he's rich in so many other ways. Whatever, I gave you the... Okay, the third one uh, is, uh, what are two words that you would use to describe this person? So I, you might say joyful or generous or content or confident, whatever it is. Two words that you would use to describe the person you just named who is very generous. You have about eight or ten seconds. All right, church. Here's a bonus question. <laughs> Why would we not want this for ourselves? If we've just said that a person who is generous is all of the things we've just called them, and we've just said it is probably not connected to income, I mean, they're not rich and they've already learned it, and there's some connection to generosity and all these other virtues. Why would we not want this for ourselves? Why would we not put systems into our lives that would make us that kind of person? So what we've talked about is that disciples are these things naturally. And what they do is they use whatever God has given them to leverage themselves to get into that place. That's all. It's never about the things themselves. It's always about how they use those things to possess other things that they can truly possess. Because the things that we keep trying to possess cannot by their nature be possessed. They can only be used. It's when we try to possess what can only be used as long as we have it that we forfeit 
all other things that can actually be possessed or internalized. So why would we not want this for ourselves? Now, this is not, this is not something that happens in just a few minutes. This isn't a six-week study on consumer to steward. What we've tried to do is to lay out a pattern of behavior that all stewards have from the moment God gives them something to the moment they leave it behind. These five movements, we said, are not different actions. They are rather smaller movements within one action, and they continue to spiral upward the more we get. So we started by saying that whatever God has given us, we have to take it, that means we have to own it. And when we own something, we're always trying to balance power and responsibility. Note, never give power to someone who won't take responsibility. Or you're the slave. But never give responsibility to someone unless you give them commensurate power to do what they're responsible for or else they're the slave. So whenever God gives us something, he gives us the right to own it along with him. We take certain powers, but we have certain responsibilities that are commensurate to the powers that he's given us. You still with me? Because I'm moving. The second thing we said they do is bless it. They live within the constraints of the thing that God has given them. And then after they bless it, they go to work developing it with an ambition that has been sanctified. It's not an unholy ambition. It's not ideas of grandiosity. Someday I will be great and then they'll recognize me. Dude, that is still your adolescent self. Okay, the steward knows who they are. They know what they have. They're living within the constraints, but they're developing it because they want to be able to give even more. And the more they develop, the more they can give. And then they're going to leave it before they go. Some of us, I think, have never quite taken it. I didn't. Some things I knew as a young person, but it, other things that took me a long time. So, so, I, so I had this idea. This week I was playing out the scenario. What if somebody, you know, unclaimed deposits, you've heard about these things, right? You always want one, but you never get one. Uh, what if somebody left me an unclaimed deposit 40 years ago um, of $5,000. And I just discovered it yesterday. It would be worth $5,000. What if I would have discovered it 40 years ago? Mm. So I asked Jordan Ashley, I said, you know smart people, call a couple and find this out. He said, if you would have put the $5,000 inside of a savings account at 3% interest, now 40 years later, the $5,000 would be about $16,000. Now we're talking. 
hang on. If I would have gotten a little more aggressive with it, at 6%, it would be worth today $52,000. Come on. Then I wanted to know, what has the average rate of return been on semi-aggressive investments for the past 40 years? What's the average? It was 9.94%. So I said, what if I would have sunk my 5K in a 9.94% for 40 years? It would be worth $211,419. That is some serious money. You don't believe me, do you? Dude, I am not making this up. And there's people here who can prove it. This dude sent me 24 pages to prove this. I said, dude, just give me the number. No, here's the evidence. I don't care. Just give me the number. Just show me the money, man. So I started thinking, how can I tell you who've never had $211,000, you don't even have $5,000 if you're in college, how can I tell you the difference between these two? Well, it would be the difference between driving one of these or one of these. Okay, one of those is a moped and the other one is a Lamborghini. Now, which one would you rather drive? Some of you are going, oh, the moped would be fine. Yeah, well, you're crazy. The rest of us, okay? Or you could either take your honey out in that boat or in this boat. Now, if you could translate the difference between these two assets to talent or skill, can you imagine what you would have at your disposal as you got a little older, 40 years later, and you had invested it wisely and developed it with a holy ambition? You could be helping people with a Lamborghini kind of talent. But if you wait too long, you're going to help them with a moped. I'm just saying Whenever something is stewarded, five things happen. Whatever it is, power, money, talent, intellectual property, knowledge, skill. Whenever we steward it, five things happen. One is it's always multiplied. Always multiplied. There is always more. Two, everybody eats. I mean the disparity between the haves and the have-nots is minimized. So what we have in our economy today largely is an economy unstewarded. Everybody ain't eating. Three, God's mission is always accomplished. Just so you know, Stewardship is not simply about the redistribution of wealth. No, that's called an economy. It's about accomplishing God's mission with the resources we have. And as we make more, and as more people get involved, God's mission always gets accomplished. Four, 
There is always something left over. One generation doesn't eat it all or use it all, so the next generation is in the lurch, and five, the steward always disappears. After Jesus fed the 5,000, he said, pick up the leftover pieces, let none of it be wasted. Keep reading the text. It said, and the people were amazed. And they said, this is the prophet who was to come. And they came to make him king by force. But Jesus withdrew by himself to a mountain. When something is stewarded well, the body of work at the end of the day is bigger than the personality who did it. These last two things in this sequence, the matter of something left over and the matter of the steward disappearing, um, all speak of what it means to leave something behind, to empower. When you empower, you simply give to someone what you yourself have taken long ago and then developed. That's all you're doing. It brings up the parable of the unjust steward. This is a hard parable. Man, I've avoided this my entire ministry. I don't want to talk about that. But here's how I think it works. First of all, right off the top, you got to know that Jesus is not commending the man's, uh, uh, the man's nobility. <laughs> okay? He's not saying this is one virtuous dude, be like him. Jesus is commending the man's wisdom. Remember, that's the word that's used. He said at the end of the parable, the children of this world are more shrewd or wise than are the children of light. So here is the parable. There's a rich guy one time owns lots of stuff and he has a manager that's ripping him off. So he calls him in and he says to him, what's this I hear about, uh, about you? He said, I want a full count of all the transactions that you've made. Understand, managers made a share. They made a percentage on the transactions. So he said to him, I want a full count of all the transactions that you have made because you cannot be manager any longer. Fired him right on the spot. Now, because the, the manager who came in did not know he was going to get fired, does not have his books with him. His books are at home. So he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? I'm too old to dig a ditch and I'm too proud to beg. Wait a minute, I got an idea. I'm going to rig it. So after I lose my job, People will welcome me into their home. Now remember, this is not a commendation of his nobility. <laughs> so what he does is, using what little authority he still has, people don't know he's been fired yet. 
Using what little authority he has, he puts a word out to all of the servants and says, come see me. If they knew he was fired, they wouldn't have appeared before him because he had no authority. The fact that he can summon them to him and they still come indicates they believe he's still on the job, but he is not on the job. And even though all rabbinic law said the moment you're fired, the owner is held responsible for no transaction thereafter, the man says, I'm going to use what precious power I have left to call people in. So he says to the first guy, uh, how, many, uh, how much oil did you owe? The guy said 800 gallons. He said, all right, make that 400. The guy's ecstatic. He calls the second guy in and says, says here, you owe 1,000 bushels of wheat. I do. He said, well, make that 800. Well, this guy's ecstatic. At the end of the day, even though one is wheat and one's oil, he's given both servants the same discount. It's about a year and a half worth of salary. So what he just said to them is, I'm, in other fact, writing off a year and a half worth of income on this bill. Go home, celebrate. Well, of course, both families do. Now, what is the rich guy to do? What's he to do now? He might want his money, but if he shows up at the village one day and he says to the guy who owes an extra 400 gallons of oil, wait, 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 I fired that dude, man. You still owe me 400 gallons of oil. He's going to look like Scrooge while the manager looks like Santa Claus. He's got him. So the rich guy thinks to himself, well, he's crooked, but he ain't dumb. I mean, they may screw him into the ground when he dies, but at least he knows how to leverage what little he has. That's when Jesus said, the children of this world are far more shrewd and ambitious and resourceful than are the children of light. Translated, he's saying, even without all of the information that the children of light have, the children of this world are smart about what they have. Therein lies the genius of the unjust manager. He uses what he has in the day that he still has it to safeguard himself against the day when he won't have it. Say that in slow motion because I think that is the meaning of the parable. He uses what little he has in the day that he has it to safeguard himself against the day when he won't have it. So if you have power and you give power to people who need power in the day that you have power, you can safeguard yourself against the day when you won't have power because I assure you that day is coming. Now, you may not think so because you're still rising in your power. But listen to me. The day is coming when you will be powerless unless you die soon. 
So wisdom, says the parable, is to use what power you have in the day that you have it to safeguard against the day when you won't. If you have money, then you should give it to people who need it in the day that you have it because the day is coming when you won't. If you have talent, skill, ability, knowledge, then you should give it to people who need it in the day that you have it. You cannot wait because the day is coming when you won't have it and you will be safe. Marvin Hines. Marvin Hines is a professor. He used to be a professor. You probably don't know him anymore, which is really sad. The dude had more wattage more than the neck. He could light half of Indiana. The guy is bright, but he's gotten older over the years. He was part of a team down in Texas that developed the original pacemaker. I think it was. See, he's really done well with his talent and his ability. He was a professor at IWU for a number of years, taught a lot of students, but then he retired, and the typical things happen. Organs begin to get old, you know? So he goes into Marion General because he's having problems with his heart, and the, 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 the assistant who's starting to work on him, been to med school and all that, gets halfway through and looks at him and says, you know... I just got to tell you, I had you as a professor. I looked up to you. Marvin goes, really? What'd you get? <laughs> she said, I got an A. He goes, oh, okay, yeah. If you share talent in the day that you have it, you can safeguard yourself against the day when you don't. Because the day is surely coming, however strong you may feel, when you will not have power, you will not have resources, your talent will be diminished, you will not have as much skill, you will need the power that you gave away. Good thing you gave it away to somebody who's still strong. This is not a word of the Lord for Christians. Remember, this is not a parable about nobility. This is a word of the Lord for every living soul on the planet. It is the economy of things. It is how power works. Whoever we are, we cannot cheat the economy of things. So how do we do it? That's the question. I think when we talk about empowering other people, first of all, we always think that you got to be old to do it, but that's not true. If you have abilities right now that are usually above the, the rest, the mediocrity of the rest of us, at any age, you can begin to empower people with the abilities that you have. You do not need to wait until you get old. There are older people who would love to get some of the knowledge or skill or ability that you have if you're in your 20s. If you wait until you get old, you may be waiting too long. 
Second, I think the problem with empowering is that we tend to fall into one of two ditches. One of those ditches is to abandon it. What we do is we get really, really good at something or we develop our property or our assets uh, or our knowledge and then we use it for as long as we need it and then as we get ready to leave our careers, we just drop it. This is not leaving, this is abandoning. We leave it like a car alongside the road going out of Baghdad that just ran out of gas. You just pull it over and with no thought what the next generation's gonna do with it. So we just park it and we walk away from it. And what happens is whenever we do that, the wrong people get it. And when the wrong people get it, its power diminishes because it loses its tie to the mission. It loses its intentionality. And so there's less of it over time, not more. The future is only richer, but they're not better or stronger because of the empowerment. So whatever we do, we cannot just park whatever God has given us and then go off into the sunset. The other problem is control. I've seen people, as they build up whatever God gave them, talent, power, knowledge, skill, money, whatever they do, they try to control the next generation when they give it to them. And the problem with this is that stifles their creativity and their risk and their adaptability. They don't have any decisions left to make because the previous generation made all of the decisions and so it makes them weaker instead of stronger. They don't give anything without stipulations that empower people. They simply control using their abilities. You've seen it? Some of us are naturally given to control. It's our nature. Others are naturally given to abandonment, to just hand stuff over without supervision. What we're trying to do here, church, is balance permission with accountability. Asking myself then this week, um, how do we do this? How do I do this? with the things that God has given me. And what I have come to are three little pieces of advice that for sake of simplicity, I'm just calling ABC. I know it's cheesy, but I want you to get it. And if it were complex, then you might forget. A for me means um, approval. Who is God favoring right now? If you ask any list out there who you should empower, they start with the question, what do you believe in? No, that's not the first question. The first question is, what does God believe in? What is God doing? Who is God favoring? 
Where are there things happening that only God can do? I'm not talking about people doing things for God, lots of them. I'm talking about God doing things with people. I'm talking about results that are supernatural in their nature. So when you look at younger people or you look at older people, you look at organizations, you're asking yourself, what is God favoring right now? Why? Because that's the only thing that's going to win. That is the only thing that wins. You can't buy success over a sustained period of time. Only God can cause things to succeed generation after generation. So where is God already active? And it, you can know this. You, I, I mean, I know when I say this, you're like, oh man, I, I don't know how to find out what God... Yes, you can. The Bible is full of examples, you guys, of how ordinary people talk to God and they came away with clarity. It happens all the time. This isn't just something Moses did. This is something ordinary run-of-the-mill, hourly workers did all through the Bible. Do you know that listening to God and hearing from God is the normal practice of a Christian? All Christians do this. So if you will just pull off and you will start with the question, God, who do you favor? Where is your hand right now? What do you believe in more than you believe in all other things right now? And you give God enough time, I think he will cause people in places to simmer to the top. So in just a few months, maybe days even, you'll know what God wants you to do with it. I mean this. Don't go forward until we start with this. God, what do you want? Because I wouldn't want us to empower. Listen, everybody wants empowerment. Everybody wants empowerment, but not everybody should be empowered. Because, because they want power without responsibility. And you never give power to people who won't take responsibility. So you cannot empower everyone. There are too many places. You have to find out where God is active. Then it is his job to police it. <laughs> Not ours. Second, B, balance. I... I am looking to balance my resources with their challenge or their mission. Let me say that in slow motion. I should not give more resources of any kind to someone who does not have a mission big enough to need it. This is why, by the way, when people get older and they leave most of their estates, their money, to their kids, it is, in my opinion, if it's a lot, a massive mistake. I know if you're in your 20s, you're like, shut up, man. It's a massive mistake because you're giving more resources to somebody who doesn't have a big enough mission. So they start squandering resources 
because they don't have a mission big enough to need it. It's why the average inheritance in America is $150,000 and it lasts on average 17 months, not even a year and a half because somebody without a mission is getting 150 grand. And they're going, well, what? Well, I don't know. Let's get a Lamborghini. So it doesn't make them better. It just makes them richer. It's a huge mistake. I'm looking to balance the resources, the power, and the knowledge, and the skill that God has given me with people and organizations who have a mission requiring that kind of power at commensurate levels. Balance. Somewhere there's a proverb. No, twice there's a proverb says the same thing. It says, money that is gotten hastily is always squandered. Proverbs 13, 11 is one of the sites. It is wiser, says Proverbs, to find the people that we want to empower and instead of leaving all of our power at one time, bleed it into them slowly until their mission rises at a commensurate level. C. Continuity or consistency. The only thing that I can empower somebody with is something that is consistent with what I was given by God and what I have developed over time. And so, as, as, I, uh, as I turn uh, 39 this week, I am not looking for somebody who wants what I have. I'm looking for somebody who wants me. And I want to bring what I have with me. I want to bring that. I want to play. I know I can't play at the same level as some 31 of you, but I still want to play. And so I'm looking for people and I'm looking for places that want me because what God has given me and what I have developed over time is consistent with what that person is trying to do themselves. That just makes sense, doesn't it? You guys, uh, the obvious way to do this right now, I think, is in a mentoring relationship. I, I mean, if you're not involved in some kind of mentoring relationship, and I, I know some of you are, but it's really common because our lives are busy to say that we don't have time for this. I'm not saying every week or every single month even, but if there ought to be some relationship that you are developing with somebody else that you can give part of yourself away. And if you haven't done this yet and you need help in directing you to people that could really use that, just call the office. I mean, there's a number of the staff can put you in contact with that. Really make that call. That's the easiest place for you to start. But I pushed away from the series this week and I thought to myself, uh, you know, it seems like God has 
been speaking to me in every one of these moves. <laughs> I felt myself, oh man, I'm not good enough on this. And then I went to week two, you know, bless. I'm like, oh man, my life is too complex. And then I got to week three and I'm like, oh, my ambition's all unholy, you know. And then I went, oh, I'm greedy too. So I, this is not what God wants. This is not what God wants. I think what he wants us to do is to walk beside him. He's not behind us, just pointing in some direction. Just walk beside him. And maybe you just ask yourself the question, God, what, which, which one of these things have you really impressed upon my life? Maybe there was one of these weeks where we said something and you can't get over that yet. You're still thinking about that particular week. And that may be the place where God is saying, all right, let's start with that. Let's go together on that. 